On January 13th, Lai Ching-te was elected the new president of Taiwan. This election and his victory has come in the midst of an ongoing risk of conflict with China over military threats of invasion and an ongoing dispute over territorial claims in the South China Sea. Tensions between democratic Taiwan and communist China have been at high since the 1950s, and conversations around the election put these concerns at the center of politics in Taiwan. The election has also included a shift in parliament seats that will no doubt result in new challenges in Taiwan's legislative process. This brings us to the questions of how do we get here and where we may be heading next. From Seton Hall University, this is The Global Current. I'm your host, Trisha Ballion. With me today are two fellow Seton Hall students. Covering the domestic situation today is our analyst, Juliana Mori. Hi, Juliana. Hi, Trish. And focusing on the international aspect today is Aaron M. Hi, Aaron. Hi, Trish. How are you? Good. How are you doing? <laughs> so before we get into the main topic at hand here, I want to turn to you, Juliana, and ask just about some general background information um, regarding everything. Could you just give us a recap of the process of the presidential election for Taiwan? Of course. So Taiwan is a democratic state that elects a parliament and a president. It's independent from China. However, China has this one China principle, which claims Taiwan as one of its territories. The sovereignty of Taiwan is recognized by only 12 other states. And there are three main parties in control of parliament. The Democratic Progressive Party, also known as DPP, uh, Kuomintang, KMT, and Taiwan's People's Party. And just to get a little background information about each of these parties, DPP controls the majority of parliament and wants a strong Taiwanese identity and believes that Chinese aggressions can be mitigated by maintaining or creating new relations with other nations. KMT wants to get a better relationship with Beijing and believes that's what Taiwan needs. It was originally a political party from mainland China. The three principles are often translated into a summarized version of nationalism, democracy, and livelihood of the people or welfareism. The KMT does not support Taiwan's independence and has consistently called for closer ties with Beijing, and the TPP wants to engage more with China and has the least amount of seats in parliament. Gotcha. And so could you maybe give us a little bit of background on the main candidates we're looking at here? Obviously, we know that Lai Ching-te won, but can we get a background on who he was running up against? So William Lai, or Lai Ching-te, is the president-elect of Taiwan from the Democratic Progressive Party, or DPP. This is their third consecutive term in power of the eight presidencies in the entire nation's history. He was elected on January 13th and will take office on May 20th. He is currently serving as the vice president. He grew up in northern Taiwan and was the son of a coal miner who passed away when he was a year and a half old, resulting in his mother raising him and his five siblings on her own. He was a physician specializing in spinal cord injuries who received his MA from Harvard before pursuing politics. He has served as a VP, premier, legislator, and mayor of Tainan. He won the election beating his nearest rival, Ho Yo Yi, from the conservative KMT party by 900,000 votes. He won 40% of the vote and the other 60% went to other candidates. So the one of the other candidates, Ho Yo Yi, is the mayor of New Taipei City. He does not want war with China, but wants to maintain stable relations with the economy and the people of Taiwan. He was previously the chief of police. The former cop pledges to get tough on crime and opposes abolishing the death penalty, vowing to execute inmates on death row, a message that resonates with conservatives in the electorate. And he agrees with the controversial cross-strait trade agreement, which 
mass protests happened in 2014 as a result of that agreement with China. And the third and final candidate, Ke Wenzhe, former mayor of Taipei, uh, he attracts the majority of young people. He has a quote-unquote policy of patience towards China, and he also endorsed the cross-strait services trade agreement that obviously caused a lot of protests back in 2014. Mm-hmm. So lots of interesting characters to be looking at um, in context with this. So could you give us just some background on to why, lec- why this election is so important and so significant? So China is an incredibly big factor in this election especially. Many young voters want to keep their title as Taiwanese and do not want to be seen as another part of China or seen as Chinese. The DPP wants to maintain this strong image of a social democracy of Taiwan. They are a liberal party that calls for progressivism and don't want to fall back to the recurring cycle of nations trying to reclaim former territories as rightfully their own. For example, Russia claims Ukraine to be its own and Taiwan does not want the same thing to happen. And so those relations between China and Taiwan are one of the main points that voters are voting on. Uh, The One China Principle is a point of contention between China and Taiwan. The unification of Taiwan and China is the main reason why Chinese relations are so rocky, especially with the aggressions that are happening. And sovereignty is one of the biggest principles that is being talked about. Mm -hmm. So thank you for giving us some more background information about region on a whole and kind of why all this is so important what we're talking about today. Now I want to turn to you, Aaron, and just ask if you want to give us some more information to add on to what Juliana was saying about who Lai is and his journey to become president-elect. Yeah, so as Juliana said, Lai Qingde came from a less fortunate background. His father passed away when he was only two years old, which left his widow mom and his five siblings and him to be taken care of. When Lai was young, he had to work hard for everything and needed a lot of self-determination. He didn't have a lot of money growing up. One quote said that instead of toys, Lai had banyan trees to climb. Instead of new clothes, he wore cast-offs. And he didn't have privileges. He had to prove himself to be a strong individual. And when he grew up, he was able to work as a kidney doctor and got his master's degree at Harvard University. And later, as Juliana said, he became the mayor of Tainan in 2010 which is a city in southern Taiwan, and stayed mayor for seven years and moved on to being the premier of the country at the national level. Mm-hmm. Was there anything very much like of note during his time as a mayor that we need to be aware of in regards to him becoming president? It seems that Lai was a pretty popular mayor in Tainan. I mean, he was there for seven years, mm-hmm. and he actually won by a huge landslide in the 2014 mayoral election when Taiwan had its local elections, which they have every two years. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And bouncing back to you, Juliana, um, I want to ask a little bit more on what Lai's stance specifically is on China. Well, in his victory speech, he congratulated voters for refusing to be swayed by, quote, external forces, end quote, saying he wanted to cooperate with China and maintain peace and stability, but pledged to not be intimidated by Beijing. China is Taiwan's biggest trading partner, so this was a very interesting thing that he said, especially considering the economic status of Taiwan. And he once said that he would most like to have dinner with uh, Chinese President President Xi Jinping, whom he said needs to, quote, chill out a little bit, (laughs) end quote. 
And he is known for uh, being very progressive and starting a bunch of social reform programs. The National Project of Hope is one of his many projects that he started as a politician committed to domestic and social issues, was implemented by him as a politician. And he has a self-proclaimed title as the Worker for Taiwanese Independence. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you. I, I appreciate that little quote about telling Xi Jinping to um, quote-unquote chill out. And on that, I want to turn to you, Aaron, and ask a little bit more about what Lai's general policies are and his political attitudes are internationally as well. So Lai in the past had more of an extreme political stance towards Taiwan. He was very pro-Taiwanese independence and wanted Taiwan to kind of change its name from the Republic of China, which is his official name, to like a more independent like Taiwanese name, like the Republic of Taiwan or something. However, during his campaign in 2024, his views have become more moderate and acceptable towards the Taiwanese people because the Taiwanese people in general support the status quo, basically means does not want to change anything in the current political system or the naming of the country. He says that Taiwan is already a sovereign and independent country and is called the Republic of China and does not need to declare independence since it's already an independent state. And overall, he wants to keep peace in the Taiwan Strait and the Indo-Pacific as a whole. And as Juliana said, Lai is also open to and willing to discuss the cross-strait relations with Beijing, but he says that she is unwilling to. However, in this 2024 election, the opposition candidate used Lai's more extreme past to their advantage, saying that Lai is an extreme politician and will declare Taiwanese independence if he were to get elected. And in terms of his policies, Lai looks like he's going to continue with the policies of his predecessor, Tsai Ing-wen, which is boosting Taiwan's global standing through strengthening ties with the U.S. and other democratic countries, continue military reforms and increasing military budget in the country, safeguarding Taiwan from political and economic interference from Beijing, advance Taiwan's technology sector and its global outreach, and overall just keeping Taiwan a very safe and democratic place Mm -hmm. for generations. However, this election was different because unlike the past two elections, the DPP lost their uh, their majority by only a few seats in the legislature. So some of the policies that Lai may implement could be blocked by the KMT in the future. Mm -hmm. And we'll get into that soon when we shift over to talk about some of the domestic issues. So does the general Taiwanese population share a lot of these sentiments? I and mean, obviously he won the presidential election, so that does mean something. But what's the general attitude towards his policy, especially internationally, that we see within the Taiwanese population? Yeah, so overall, the Taiwanese population does share somewhat of a similar idea of what they want their country to be. They over, Again, they want to support the status quo and not changing anything in the country, keeping it a democratic, independent island no unification, no formally declaring independence. Mm-hmm. They just want to keep the way they are right now. Mm-hmm. And that's what Lai Ching-de promised and will continue to push forward. Maybe some older generations may think a little differently. They mm-hmm. feel like they should have more closer relations with China. However, the younger generations does not think that's possible and does not want to engage as much with China. Mm-hmm. I see. So I guess we'll need to be keeping an eye on that as it progresses and Lai's presidency um, continues. Mm-hmm. And I want to, bouncing off of what we were talking about with Aaron, I want to turn to you, Juliana, and ask if you have any other things you want to chime in for us in regards to the foreign policy that Lai's presenting. 
Yeah, so as I've previously stated, the sovereignty of Taiwan is only recognized by 12 other states. And William Lai, he has made a diplomatic mission to Paraguay back in August, which is a controversial move as Paraguay is one of the few nations that has diplomatic relations with Taiwan. And there are a lot of drawn similarities um, to Taiwan and Ukraine to raise awareness about authoritarianism globally, saying that this phenomenon has, quote, awakened the international community to the fragility of democracy, end quote. During his time as VP, Taiwan increased arms acquisitions from the United States despite Washington's one China policy. The U.S. is bound by law to provide arms to Taiwan to protect itself. And he said in his victory speech, quote, We are telling the international community that between democracy and authoritarianism, we will stand on the side of democracy, end quote. Mm-hmm. Very powerful stuff. Um, and just to continue on um, with you, Juliana, I want to ask more specifically, what issues is life facing domestically and how is he dealing with those? There are a lot of economic and social issues that he is trying to address currently. I've already talked about the national project of hope Mm -hmm. that he has established in an effort to achieve better status in the international community. He has made many proposals to increase the monthly minimum wage of publicly traded companies for employees from 30,000 new Taiwan dollars to be increased. And he has, one of the young voters that was interviewed by France 24 said, quote, the market is crazy. A simple two bedroom can cost over 10 million NTD, and that is without a parking space, end quote. So there's a lot of economic issues that he's trying to address. There's social issues. He's trying to crack down on crime at the same time. So he is really trying to take a lot on his plate as he's going into his presidency. And he has made an emphasis on green energy. He's trying to achieve a status of a complete net zero carbon nation and that's one of the biggest things that he ran his campaign on. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us more about the shifts in the Taiwanese parliament and what this might mean for those domestic issues we're looking at and those policies that's going to be coming out trying to grapple with some of these things he's trying to fix domestically? Yeah so the parliament elections were held on the same day in which the DPP lost the previous majority and now holding the second most seats to the KMT In 2020, they won over 60 of the 113 seats. Now they hold only 51 seats. And uh, neither holds a majority, giving the TPP a relatively new force that with their eight seats that they have on parliament as a possible swing vote on legislation regarding stances on China, stances on foreign relation deals, any diplomatic efforts that they'll make, and also obviously social and domestic issues that they will decide on. Mm -hmm. And I know we were discussing with Aaron some of the attitudes coming from the Taiwanese population regarding international affairs and um, the issue of independence and the relations with China. What has been the reception from the Taiwanese population um, regarding his policies domestically? Has it been overall positive, negative? What are we kind of seeing? I agree with Aaron's notion that the younger people are definitely more on his side, seeing that he is more progressive and he's trying to establish Taiwan as a nation on the international stage. Meanwhile, the older generations might see it as more of a like too like out there kind of move. They want to still maintain certain relations with China. So by having such a Taiwanese independent politician it's a little jarring for some of the older generations 
But the general reception of him is that he is going to be a good president and achieve many great things for mm-hmm. the country. So overall, quite positive on that note. Building off of what you were talking about earlier uh, with the diplomatic men, uh, missions and some of the relations with other states, I want to turn to you, Aaron, and ask more about that specifically. I know we got some statistics regarding only 12 states seeing Taiwan as an official state on the international stage. Can you tell us how different countries have responded to this election and lies direction that he's taking Taiwan? Mm-hmm. So let's start off with the big player in the room, China. Mm-hmm. This election is always based on what Taiwan is going to do with China. This is the number one topic that every Taiwanese politician talks about whenever they run for the presidency. Now, China obviously was not very pleased with this election. Uh, Ever since 1949, China claims Taiwan as part of its territory and no election or no international interference will ever change that. I mean, China's Ministry of Foreign Affairs quote is saying that this election will not change the basic fact that Taiwan is part of China and there's only one China in the world. And China was also not pleased with the fact that other countries congratulated Lai on his victory, like the US, Japan, and the Philippines. Also, China has used a lot of its economic might to try to isolate Taiwan. For example, right after the election, Nauru, which is Taiwan's close ally, decided to establish relations with China over Taiwan. And this is most likely because of China's economic power to try to sway Taiwanese allies to come to their side. And other countries could be at risk too, like like another country called Tuvalu. And in terms of China's military reaction, it seems pretty restrained for the most part. However, China did send 24 warplanes and five Navy vessels across the Taiwan Defense Identification Zone, and this was the first time since November. Um, Most likely, what's going to happen in the future is that China is going to continue its military aggression. However, recently, it seems that China wants to play the long game and see what happens when Lai becomes the president. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. It's definitely something we'll be keeping an eye on as that progresses and develops. And I know you mentioned that the U.S. sent congratulations to Lai. Can you tell us more about the United States' response and all that? Yeah. So after the election, the United States sent retired officials to Taiwan to praise the country's democratic process and to congratulate Lai for the win. A former national security advisor, Stephen Hadley, said, Taiwan's democracy has sent a shining example for the world, a democratic success story based on transparency, the rule of law, and respect for human rights and freedoms. So this just confirms that the U.S.-Taiwan relations are rock solid. Biden responded by saying that he does not support Taiwan declaring formal independence, but will defend Taiwan if China were ever to invade the island. And the U.S. overall is looking forward to working with Lai with the unofficial U.S. relationship and also the U.S.-Taiwan Relationships Act that was implemented a long time ago. However, what was interesting is the Republican candidate Donald Trump's had different views on Taiwan. Trump continues with his America's First policy, and this could affect the U.S.'s willingness to defend Taiwan. Trump recently blamed Taiwan for taking all of America's jobs, and most importantly, the tech and chip jobs. Recently, Trump said, if I answer that question, it'll put me in a very bad negotiating position. With that being said, Taiwan did take all of our chip businesses. 
And many leaders fear that if Trump were to get elected again in the U.S., he could abandon Taiwan due to his America First policy. However, this did not really sit well with most Republicans because Taiwan is one of the only issues that both Democrats and Republicans can agree on. Mm-hmm. That's definitely going to be interesting to see as the election progresses in November um, here in the U.S. And some other country responses of, uh, from the region? Yeah, so one of Taiwan's most important unofficial ally is Japan. Japan and Taiwan has always had a strong cultural and historical relationship with each other. Uh, Japan overall is also looking forward to informally working with Lai. And recently, the Japan-Taiwan Exchange Association chief Matsuo Ohashi held talks with Lai. Both countries want to maintain peace in the Indo-Pacific region because Japan sees China regarding Taiwan as a renegade province as a threat to its own national security. So a threat to Taiwan is a threat to Japan as well. And this is why in recent years we see Japan really beefing up its military. By 2027, Japan is expected to increase its military budget to 2% of its GDP, which will make it the third highest military budget in the world. And Japan has also been increasing its military and military ties with other countries in the region, such as Australia, the Philippines, and other Southeast Asian nations. Lai said that Japan is Taiwan's very close democratic partner and is looking forward to enhancing and deepen cooperation with Japan on the economy and technology to fight climate change as well. Mm-hmm. And I know you also mentioned the Philippines as being part of this group of countries has been um, congratulating Lai and supporting Taiwan in selection. Yeah, so the Philippine president, Bombo Marcos, congratulated Lai on his victory and said that the Philippines is willing to work with Taiwan on keeping peace in the Indo-Pacific region, specifically in the South China Sea. And this message did anger Beijing. This is because recently the Philippines and China have had a lot of conflicting arguments in regards to the South China Sea. China claims the vast majority of the sea and has been building a lot of military facilities in the region despite this being considered international waters. The previous Philippines president, Rodrigo Duterte, has pushed for closer ties with China. However, Bongbong Marcos is considered more pro-United States and would like to work with the United States more in terms of military while maintaining a kind of healthy relationship with China. So recently, the Philippines and the United States have been working closely in military and trying to train uh, Filipino troops and American forces if Taiwan were to be invaded by China. And the Philippines is also a very important country with this part of this island chain called the First Island Chain, along with Taiwan and Japan, where the U.S. maintains some form of influence in those countries, whether that'll be military bases or economic influence. And moving forward, it seems that Philippines will most likely keep the status quo, keeping a balance between relationship with China, also working closely with Taiwan as well as the United States. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting stuff happening in all the different states of the region. So now just to wrap up, I want to ask you all both a couple questions uh, just for some, for some final thoughts. I'm going to turn to you first, Juliana, and ask what impact on Taiwan's domestic and foreign strength do you think the shift in parliament is going to have? I believe that the change in the majority of the seats being with the KMT party will contribute greatly to both the foreign and the domestic policies instituted until the next election. And the KMT party stands for better relations with Beijing. So I believe that the people that have voted for those candidates, the KMT party, just want to avoid military and aggressive 
interactions with China as Taiwan does not have the resources at hand to combat the strength of the Chinese military. Mm-hmm. I guess we'll definitely have to see how that continues to develop as we move forward with this parliament and um, with Lai's presidency. And now our listeners probably don't know this, but Aaron was actually in Taiwan at the time of, at the, time of the election. So I want to ask you, Aaron, if you could just tell us about that experience. What was it like being there? I mean, yeah, just kind of give us some, some information about it. Yeah, being in Taiwan during the election is a very unique experience in itself. I mean, this island wa- is a very young democracy. Taiwan has only had democracy for 30 years, and, ver- and people there are very passionate about who they want to be the president and what their views are. There's a lot of music, a lot of chanting by the people there. There were campaign banners everywhere from buildings to buses to the trains. And what's very interesting is that in Taiwan, candidates, they interact more with their people than they do in the U.S. They like to hand out a lot of goodies to the people. Like they go to marketplaces or they go to on the streets. They hand out little tissues. Mm -hmm. I got a couple tissues from these different like uh, legislative candidates. Mm -hmm. And this has resulted in a very high turnout rate in Taiwan. Usually the turnout rate in Taiwan is around 70 to 80 percent, which is much higher than in the United States, which is usually like 50s to 60s. Mm-hmm. So yeah, overall, it was a very great experience overall, and I'm glad that I was, be- I was there at the, t- at the same time. Absolutely. I'm, I'm so glad you come on here and share that with us. That's a really unique experience to be able to talk about and, and add to this conversation. So unfortunately, as much as I'd love to keep talking about this, um, that is going to be the end of our time. This has been such a, a great discussion. Aaron, Juliana, thank you both so much for coming on and joining us. Thank you, Trish. Thank you very much. Joining me now to round out some of the headlines this week is our news briefer, Kasha Kastraba. Hey, Kasha. Hi, Trish. So what headlines do you have for us this week? Venezuela voids forces near Guyana despite agreement to de-escalate. People keep, will keep dying. Fentanyl crisis grips Me- Mexico's borders. And Haitians are desperate after Kenyan court blocks police force deployment. All right, lots of interesting stories to cover today. Um, let's start with the news from Venezuela. Satellite images showed Venezuelan forces bolstering their presence along the border with Guyana amidst the oil dispute. Mexar collected images in January showing how they were expanding military forces at their Onoco Island military base. This includes bulldoxing and taking up new sections of their rainforest in the Cuyuni River. That's definitely an interesting development we'll continue to watch as it progresses. And the news on fentanyl? There have been an increase in fentanyl overdoses, more specifically in border cities such as Tijuana and Mexicali. Paramedics have reported a stark increase from one to two overdoses per night to about six. Much of this is caused by cartels who produce it easily and at lower costs, while Mexico's president continues to downplay this situation. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it's something we'll continue to keep an eye on. And what about our last story? A court in Kenya blocked U.S.-backed police from assisting to help fight the gangs in Haiti. With increased unrest, about 80% of Haiti's capital has been attacked or seized, disrupting the peace in many communities, with Haiti's national police losing their police officers rapidly. While Kenya's government says they will appeal the ruling, it is unclear how how long it will take, as well as if other countries will deploy smaller forces to Haiti. Thank you so much for coming on, Kasha. 
This is all the time we have for today. Be sure to follow The Global Current on Instagram and LinkedIn on updates for upcoming shows. This show would not have been possible without our dedicated crew, executive producer Bobby Kyle, associate producers Kasia Kastraba and Juliana Mori, technical producers Ashley Skladani and Amelia Vincichinsky, and of course your host, Trisha Ballion. The Global Current is brought to you by Seton Hall University. As always, keep it current with us and catch us on the waves every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. on 89.5 FM WSOU. Until next time, thanks, y'all.